Now, I want us to focus just for a moment on something I've tried to pound uh, into people's heads. This is the fourth Christmas I've been with you, and that is, who is Jesus? Jesus has been confessed down through the ages to be 100% God, 100% human, and yet only 100%. In other words, he's fully God, he's fully human, but he's one person, distinct from the Father, distinct from the Spirit, one person, so he's 100%. And that's what the church has confessed from the very earliest days, as, as we will see in a moment. Now notice what Elizabeth says regarding uh, Mary in verse 43. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. Now Jesus, at this point in time, was living as a very, very tiny organism, a living human being. Remember... When does human life begin? Human life has only begun one time in the entire history of our planet. And when was that? That's when God formed Adam. And then he breathed into Adam the breath of life. And Adam became a living being. Other animals, and we are animals, and that comes from a Latin word anima that means soul, Other animals have the breath of life, as do we. But other animals were not directly created by God. He created them by his word. Nor were other animals imparted the divine nature that came with the breathing uh, into Adam, the breath of life. So Adam, in a direct way, was given life. By the breath of God, the very Holy Spirit of God, who hovered on the waters of creation, Genesis 1-2, was that which was breathed into that dust of the earth, and he became a living being, a living soul. Now, it's important to see here that that human life was imparted from Adam to Eve when God caused a great sleep to fall on Adam, and he took from Adam's body a portion, one rib. It was living. It was alive. That rib had human life in it, and God, as God does, strangely, God can take anything and do something with it. And he took that rib and he formed Eve from Adam's rib. And then Adam and Eve began to have children. And they have Cain, they have Abel, they have Seth, but they had many, many other children because they lived roughly nine centuries. And so what happens is that they had boys and they had girls and each of those children was passing on the life of God that began one time on our planet. And that's the life that comes down uh, to us. So the Lord Jesus is not made from a human father. Rather, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Eve and he caused from that living cell, that one cell, an egg, an ovum of Mary, The Holy Spirit took that living human cell and he created something distinct from Mary. 
Because Jesus lived inside Mary, but he was not part of her body. That's very important. The number of chromosomes, if I uh, cut my finger and a piece of meat falls out, which has happened before, uh, that has the same number of chromosomes as all the other cells in my body. But gametes, the sex cells, only have half because it takes a male who brings half the chromosomes and a female to produce a new human being. Life passed on from the Garden of Eden, but a new and unique human being. Now, the miracle that occurs in the womb of the, of the Virgin Mary is that the Holy Spirit took that single cell, that ovum, that egg of Mary, and he did a miracle. And he caused that ovum to have all the chromosomes necessary to be a distinct human being. And so Elizabeth full of the Spirit of God, a Spirit-filled woman, cries out, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. Who is Mary? Well, the church has confessed, in light of this truth, that Mary is the theotokos. That's a Greek word. It means God-bearer. She is the one who had God in her womb. Because remember, at the moment of Jesus' conception, by the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit on that single egg, the divine nature was combined with the human nature to form the person whom we call the Lord Jesus Christ. So Mary is the theotokos, the God-bearer. And it's important to remember that, that while Jesus is fully human and fully God, What he does, he does as one person. When Jesus dies on the cross, God died on the cross. But God died in his human nature, not in his divine nature. You say, Bob, that's really odd. I don't fully understand it. Well, guess what? Neither do I. And neither does any orthodox Christian theologian. The problem with heresy is it tries to make sense with the rational human mind of divine mysteries. So Jesus is fully God. He's fully human in one person. And I don't know how to grasp that. I can't weave a verbal net effective enough to tie it all up. But I accept it in faith. As every single Christian theologian has down through the centuries. We say orthodox, not referring to the orthodox church, but to right glory. Right glory has to do with right doctrine, right teaching. And so all those who are orthodox, or we might say another word, lower see Catholic. Catholic is a Greek word that means universal. All Catholics everywhere, including Trinity Presbyterians, and the Lutherans, and the Methodists, and the Anglicans, and the Baptists, and the Nazarenes, and the Assemblies of God, all Catholics, lowercase c, everywhere confess that Jesus is truly God, truly human, in one person. And that we therefore can say, using a Latin phrase, that Mary is not only the Theotokos, the one who bears God, who gives birth to God in his human nature, but she is the mater dei, that's Latin. And it means essentially the same thing as the Greek theotokos. She's the mother of God. Mary is the mother of God. Now, 
That phrase immediately should cause an alarm bell to go off in our minds because obviously Mary did not precede God. She's not the mother of God in God's divine nature, of course, but she is the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. She is the mother of his human nature. But remember, human nature, divine nature in the one person of Jesus, we may speak, therefore, that she is the mother of the Lord Jesus who was truly God in the flesh. So when, when Elizabeth confesses this, how is it the mother of my Lord, the Theotokos, the Mater Dei, the mother of my God, should come to me? Because remember that the Greek word that is used throughout the New Testament, kurios, we have uh, that even encapsulated in the Latin mass, kyrie, Kyrie eleison is, is a Greek phrase that means, Lord, have mercy upon us. That the mother of the Lord, kurios, that is the Greek word that the rabbis who lived a couple of hundred years before Jesus used to translate the four letters of the Hebrew Bible. Y, H, W, or V, H, which we would translate as, or literally transliterate as, Yahweh. So she's saying, how is the mother of my Lord, who is, happens to be Yahweh, should come to me? And then she says, as we mentioned last night, that the moment that Mary entered the room, and therefore the moment that the Lord Jesus has a tiny, tiny cell, Mary is probably only a week or two pregnant. Hi, she says that the moment your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So we see something really clear here, point one. That Mary is recognized as the mother of God in terms of his human nature. She is the mother of the Lord. She is the mother of the Lord Jesus in his human nature. But, and this is so important, that we keep this but in mind. That did not mean that she was without sin. And you see, that's an important thing. I mentioned the decree of a pope in 1854 saying that Mary was conceived by her parents, Joachim and Anne, without their having sexual relations. And so when you hear the word immaculate conception, immaculate conception has nothing to do with the virgin birth of Christ. It has to do with how Mary was conceived in the womb of her mother, St. Anne. Now, where's that in the Bible? (laughs) It isn't there. I've got a thousand dollar check to give to anyone listening to this. To write to you where you, you, I will send it to you the minute that you show me anywhere in the Bible that any such thing as that is even hinted at. Because it isn't true. Mary was not conceived immaculately, that is without sin. And this we have to come down to. And I don't want this to be a negative sermon. But there is one denomination... And always be suspicious of denominations that say they're not a denomination, everybody else is. There's one denomination, only one, that teaches such an idea. And where did that idea come from? 
It came from the Greek philosopher Aristotle. You see, that denomination's philosophy, in no small measure, going back to that dumb ox, St. Thomas Aquinas, that's what he was nicknamed, though he later became the theologian of the Roman church. But Aristotelian philosophy, Greek philosophy, is the root of all heresies. Because what do the Greeks try to do? Paul said the Jews seek for a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. That doesn't make sense to me. Therefore, and all of the heresies come from the therefores. If I can't figure that out. Therefore this, therefore that. Well, if, if Jesus was born without original sin, and that's related to his virgin birth, or his virgin conception, then therefore, philosophically, we've got to go back a while. Kind of a chain of being, going back. So Mary has to be without sin. And if she's without sin, then her conception has to be without sexual intercourse. And never forget this truth. Neurotics obsessed with sex and not participating in it created all of this nonsense. I'm going to say it again. I know that's not winsomely and charitably stated. Neurotics who were not allowed to have sex because fulfilling the prophecy of 1 Timothy 4 of doctrines of demons forbidding marriage were obsessed with sex. And therefore, they, they, could, they think of sex as the original sin. Where in the world did they get such an idea as that? You know, there are a lot of people that think that way. That sex is somehow another evil or base or wicked. It can be. And often is. Because the passions that lead to it can sometimes become very difficult to control. But the point I want to make is... Nowhere in the entirety of the Bible is sex said to be evil. And so the idea that Joachim was that the, mother, the father of Mary, who on earth knows? That's just made up as if I were to say, Fizgig married Polydoodle and they had a child. In other words, creating endless genealogies and myths, which we're warned about, to have nothing to do with. So who knows whether Mary's father's name was Joachim? Who knows whether Mary's mother was Anne? We don't know that. What we do know is that Mary was a godly young virgin who had just become pregnant by a miracle of the Holy Spirit forming a unique human being out of the living cell, her egg. And so there we have. Now, as we go down, was Mary without sin? Let's look at a couple of things for a moment here. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. And we see something here very striking. And it's this. Look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 20, page 1556. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, page 1556. Now, the way Mark often structures things is a sandwich. He gives you a piece of bread, then he tells a story related to that piece of bread, and then he goes to the other piece of bread. So verse 20 
starts out with something and it's picked up again in verse 31. But let's pick it up in the beginning. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family, who is that? Well, the family that's there is the family that's spelled out in verse 31. Because Mark wants to show the opposition to Jesus right at this point. Mark wrote, and many of the writers of scripture wrote, the way I preach. And that is, it sounds like I'm doing stream of consciousness. But what it is, is... Telling this story to illustrate this truth, I then tell this story to illustrate this truth, and then I come back to the original story to my point and continue on. And that's exactly what Mark does. So look at what he says in verse 21. Because Jesus is working hard night and day, and his disciples are as well. He's just appointed the 12 disciples there beginning in verse 13. But here it's, here's what his family has to say. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. He's nuts. Now, you see, many people say, well, Mary never had any other children. Or they'll explain people like the author of the letter of James or the author of the letter of Jude, who were Jesus' brothers. They'll say, well, they were his cousins. Or they'll say, well, Joseph was married before and these were children from a previous marriage. Nonsense! Thanks, Iona, for not crying. And nonsense. Where do you get that from? Where in the Word of God I've got another $1,000 check, and this might break me. Can you prove that Mary remained a virgin and never had more children? I'm going to say this. According to 1 Corinthians 7, once a person says, I do, in marriage, they give up the right to say no. The wife no longer owns her own body, the husband does. And the husband no longer owns his own body, the wife does. And so I'm going to say this, had Mary denied Joseph sexual intercourse, she would have been a wicked woman, guilty of adultery. Because when God forbids something, he commands the opposite. When God forbids adultery, he commands faithfulness in a marriage. And so Mary and Joseph went on to have other children. But this is something I want you to see. Mary was being influenced by Jesus' brothers and sisters. They heard about it. And they said, Mama! And probably by this time, because many years had passed, and Joseph was probably a bit older than Mary. Remember, they were poor people. And remember that she really came from nothing. Very poor. And this man, who was a common laborer, probably a builder of a nearby Roman city near Nazareth, that he had scraped together enough money to get engaged. And he got engaged to this teenage girl, Mary. And probably by this time, the poor man is worn out, and he's probably died because we lose track of Joseph in the, in the Scripture story 
shortly after the time of Jesus' birth and when he and Mary took Jesus down to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12 years old for, in a sense, what we would, the Jews would call a bar mitzvah, in a sense. So notice they say he's out of his mind. Do you, do you get the picture? Mama, Jesus is working himself to death. He's gone nuts. He's not getting enough sleep. We need to go and rescue him. Or in modern words, we need, to, we need to go see the coroner and get a physician's commitment. You let that sink in for a minute. He's out of his mind. Mama, we got to go. And then Mark, the way he likes to structure his stories, uh, talks about the opposition Jesus had from other people and how these people uh, called him uh, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. And then he picks the story back up in verse 31. Look there. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. They start out in verse 21. When they heard about it, they went. And then in verse 31, they arrive. Then Jesus' mother's mother, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Maybe the girls didn't come. Standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. He knew why they were there. He knew he had a mission. And that mission consumed him. He knew what he had to do because Jesus had a call on his life and he was determined to spend and be spent. Just as Paul said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and offering of your faith. So there they are standing outside. His mama, the blessed, no longer virgin, Mary, with her boys that she had by Joseph. And notice what's said. What does he say in verse 33? Who are my mother and my brothers? Let that sink in. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Wait a minute. You stop and you think, you know what? I would I'd really like to be related to Jesus. Would you? Physical kinship doesn't count for anything. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying it isn't biological relationship that establishes the true relationship that transcends time and space. It's a spiritual relationship. And notice what he's saying. And by implication, think about it. Here are my mother and my brothers. It's as if he's looking at you. Here are my mother and my brothers. And notice what he adds. Verse 35. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that Mary did not always do God's will? Yes, that's exactly what it means. That is exactly what it means. And I want you to look at another uh, scripture. Turn with me to the right, to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. John, chapter 7. And we'll look at verse 3. And notice what he says here. He says, Jesus' brothers, page 1659, said to him, 
You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. You know, they're speaking sarcastically to him. You know, you're just showing off. One of our children confessed later in life to uh, getting up in the middle of the night on Christmas morning after everybody was sound asleep and very carefully with a knife loosening the tape on her big sister's Christmas presents and loosening the the loosening the uh, the tape on hers and if she liked this is particularly from relatives and if she liked her sisters better than her own she simply removed her sisters and put it in hers and vice versa so on Christmas morning no one was the wiser is that true? That's true. That really is true. It's amazing. And think about Christmas morning, particularly in our materialistic age where we've reduced a holy day to a holiday for merriment getting loaded and uh, gross materialism, spending money we don't have and worrying about paying it off come January, February, and then living with interest the rest of the year in a usurious interest. Boy, it sounds like our government. And notice what, what happens with this sarcasm. No one, verse 4, who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Now notice verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. One other scripture before we go back to Luke. Look at the crucifixion of Christ in John chapter 19. This explains something that's very significant and very powerful. John chapter 19, and we want to look there at verse 26. 1926, and um, that's on page 1684, John 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, some people have used this as an argument to say, Jesus really didn't have brothers and sisters. They were cousins, they were relatives, or they were step uh, brothers and sisters. You know what's really the case here? When you really examine Scripture with Scripture, Jesus is worried about his mama. What's he worried about his mama? He's worried that his mama isn't going to be taken care of. Now, would his, would his brothers and sisters take care of mama and take her in? Of course. But just as we saw last night, as we thought about Mary leaving her father and mother and going down to the hill country of Judea to see a spirit-filled woman named Elizabeth, so here, and that's this, Jesus is concerned for his mother's spiritual welfare. And I'll say it again, what was so important for the Virgin Mary to travel from Nazareth 
that great distance down to the, the hill country of Judea was that she would come under a spiritual influence of a woman who was full of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. So here, Jesus is burdened that his mother will become a true disciple. Now let that sink in for a moment. Jesus is burdened that somebody who loves him, somebody who believes in him, somebody who trusts in him, somebody who is sure that Jesus promised he would rise from the dead and was going to do it, is going to nurture his mama in the faith until that faith becomes hers. And that's why Jesus segregates his mother from his own flesh and blood. Because it's important that people have spiritual nurture and discipleship. And so he entrusts his mama to the one disciple he trusted more than any other. One disciple he loved more than any other. Did Jesus have a special love for three of them? Peter, James, and John. And that James is the brother of John who was executed uh, by King Herod in Acts 12. But Jesus' brother... James is the one that wrote the letter of James. Jesus wants his mother to become a true disciple of his, a true follower of his. So this is important as we return, uh, lastly, to page 1589, and we conclude the sermon with Mary's song. Looking there, page 1589 Uh, Luke chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verse 46. Summing up, Mary is the mother of God, the mater dei, the theotokos, the human vessel through which he who is both truly God and truly human, one person came into this world. And yet, she's like all of us. What do I mean? I mean she struggled with doubt. You say, well, how? I mean, tell me how this is true. How could a woman who had had this miraculous announcement, the angel Gabriel has come to her and told her that she's going to bear God's son and he's he's going to send the Holy Spirit to cause this miraculous conception and she's there the night that the shepherds come and sing and tell about... Uh, the angels singing, the angels, uh, excuse me, the shepherds come reporting on the glories of the angels singing. How could she, with that, how could she, uh, sometime later when the wise men come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, how could she who's witnessed all these miracles, how could she struggle with unbelief? Just like you and me. Just like you and me. You struggle with unbelief sometimes? She struggled with it. And I'm going to submit to you, though she had in one way the most intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as anyone in history, it was only at this point in time a natural relationship. The relationship of any mother with a child she's given birth to. So Jesus nurtures her faith. But now notice this extraordinary thing. Remembering that Mary is a poor woman and that she married a man who was poor himself and how they traveled down from Nazareth to Bethlehem on the night of her birth. 
And now we are roughly nine months before the birth of Christ. And what happens at the point when full of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth has given this wonderful confession, Mary sings her song. And it's, it's Hebrew poetry written in Greek because the way that Hebrew poetry rhymes is to repeat thoughts. And listen to Mary's song. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see the Hebrew parallelism, parallelism there that's true in all Hebrew poetry? You're saying one thing, and then you say the same thing slightly differently. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Is there a difference in the soul and the spirit? Yes, but they're synonyms. Sometimes those two words can be used interchangeably. My soul, my spirit glorifies the Lord, rejoices in God my Savior. And then look at verse 48. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his slave girl. The humble state of his slave girl. Remember this. As we go home to a Christmas feast, as perhaps we go home to unwrap presents, as we revel in Western materialism, in this holiday that has been sanitized of Jesus and replaced with goofiness. Have you ever thought about Christmas carols and then think about modern American Christmas songs? They remove Jesus. Jingle bells. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. And why do our stores play these songs? The ones that historically associated with the real Christmas, the birth of the Lord Jesus. And the modern junk that has totally eradicated any reference to Jesus, his virgin mother. You know what it's about when you go in the mall? Spend your money, pull out that card, we make it easy for you. You can pay it off in just 12 payments and just let it build up. We don't mind. We'd rather you do that. You know, when I pay off credit cards and I pay them off before they are due because I don't want to be stuck. Some of them 25% interest. That's usury. And you know, when I go to one particular one, the, the choice is always to pay the minimum. Why? We love debt. We love debt. But what do we have here? Who is Jesus? Who is his mama? Who is his stepdaddy? She was a poor girl. She was a poor girl. Unlike the ancestor I mentioned last night, my ninth great-grandmother who was born and who was married in Paris, France, whose father was the ambassador of King Charles I, Mary was poor. She was dirt poor. And her husband just barely scraped by. And so when Jesus, when, when Mary sings her song, he speaks, she speaks of the Lord. She speaks of God, her Savior, who has been mindful of her terrible poverty of his slave girl. And then she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. What does that mean? To be blessed is to be happy. 
That's what the Greek word means. Makarios, blessed, happy. Or the Hebrew word, asher, blessed or happy. Happy. God wants happy people. And Mary was a happy woman. Why was she so happy? She's so happy because she's pregnant. Even though nobody knew it yet, except John the Baptist in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. She's pregnant, and she's happy about it. From now on, all generations will call me happy. Isn't that amazing? It's not that she's full of grace, like she's got something to give to you. Nowhere in Scripture is Mary an object of worship. Nowhere is she revered. The only people who are ever worshipped, ever, are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know in the book of Revelation, when the angel is revealing things to John, twice John feels compelled to get on his knees and worship that angel. But he said, don't do that. I'm your fellow servant. So if you met the Virgin Mary today, of course, you wouldn't recognize her because she's now glorified. Just as all the Christian saints who've died and the Old Testament saints who've died have now been glorified. They're radiant. They're resplendent in glory. Your mother who died, your grandmother who died, your great-grandfather who died, you'd never recognize them because they are glowing with light. Their bodies have been transformed. They have a spiritual body now and will re-inhabit their physical body in the future. But notice what he says. She says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Not Mary, the giver of grace, but Mary, the happy woman. What a happy woman. Oh, what happiness. There was never a happier woman in all the world than the Virgin Mary, because she had been destined to give birth to him who is God. I want to move on quickly as I I wrap this up. And she says in verse 41, The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Mary was a God-fearing woman from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and had lifted up the humble. What are the humble? Well, let's read further. He's filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. What do you get here? You get an inversion of the world's values. It's just turned upside down. What does the world esteem? You know, I'm amazed how fur merchants created Hollywood. And they created something called a star. This is a star. This is Hollywood royalty. What in the Sam Hill is Hollywood royalty? It's people who had a knack for making money, capitalizing and making somebody a star. Do you know that if they chose to do it, the merchants of Hollywood could make you a star? They would have physical trainers. They would have plastic surgery. They would have this. They would have that. And they would, in a movie, they would shoot the scene 20 times because you couldn't remember your lines if you're going to be a star. Hollywood royalty. Look, do you know who the royalty is? 
the royalty is that unwed mother, 12 or 13 years old, waiting at the bus station today. It isn't the rich. It isn't the famous. It isn't the earthly powerful. It's the lowly. And that's who Mary understood herself to be. She was just a poor, poor, teenage, unwed mother traveling to fulfill God's mission. And when she fulfilled it, she was blessed indeed. But like you, she struggled with things. She wasn't even a full Christian until after Jesus rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit. Because we find her after the resurrection of Jesus in the upper room with the 11 disciples, with Peter, with James, with John. She's there with the gatherers. She's gathered there in anticipation because now she knows that her son, according to the flesh, who is truly the Son of God, is about to send the Holy Spirit, and she will receive the Holy Spirit as a permanent endowment, even as the Holy Spirit is offered to you and me today. Open your heart and receive that same Holy Spirit who brooded on the waters, who brooded on the womb of the Virgin Mary, and who came and filled Elizabeth and filled Mary to sing such a song. And he will fill you. For that, my sisters and brothers, is the true meaning of Christmas. How many people who are very, very wealthy, open gifts that are extremely expensive, maybe a $10,000 or $15,000 Rolex watch designed by the descendants of the Huguenots who fled French persecution and ended up in Geneva. What about opening up a $15,000, a $50,000 Rolex watch with diamonds all around it? $50,000. And by the end of the day, when it's time to go to bed, that person is drunk, depressed, and maybe decides to put a bullet through his head. There's nothing emptier, more depressing lonelier than celebrating Christmas as a materialistic extravaganza without knowing personally the Lord Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My Christmas gift to you is simply to share the old, old story because the greatest gift of all is available to you and me today. If you have never received him, may you receive him. May we pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless us with the gift of the coming of Jesus to remember a poor peasant woman, 12 or 13 years old, who was instructed by her own human spirit in response to Gabriel's announcement about her cousin Elizabeth to travel on her own that long, dangerous journey to the hill country, and who on the night that she gave birth to Jesus had traveled with her husband from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where nobody opened the door. Lord, may we open our hearts to you again this day, and may we show kindness 
to the poorest of the poor who can give nothing to us. For that, Lord, is truly the spirit of the Christ child. In whose name we pray, amen.